0: Hello and welcome back to Nature's Wonders. I'm your host, Will. Today we're joined by Emma Sampson. She is a YouTuber. She talks about animals that she keeps, such as snakes and chameleons. She has great content and it's always a pleasure to watch. So go check that out. And in this episode, we're just going to really jump topic to topic, mostly just about animals. I mean, any animals come to mind and I hope you guys like it. So sit back and enjoy. Thank you podcast is sponsored by aquachar and corals and Nostros. how are you doing today emma
1: i'm great uh, how are you
0: i'm doing good so can you tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself
1: Sure. Uh, so my name is Emma. I'm 21 years old. I have worked as a zookeeper and also I've done YouTube for a while now. I keep quite a few exotic animals and I have for quite some time now. So yeah, that's a that's a little bit about me.
0: Mm-hmm. So what kind of animals do you specifically keep?
1: I primarily keep reptiles right now, but I have You know, I've kept a variety of things. I also keep rabbits. You know, I have a dog and a cat. In the past, I've also kept hedgehogs and hamsters, and I've also been into fish keeping. I don't have any fish right now since I have moved to Ontario. When I moved, I couldn't really bring my tanks with me, but I also used to have a large reef aquarium, a goldfish aquarium, and a betta fish aquarium.
0: Wow that that's a lot of a lot of animals
1: <laughs> yeah a big variety of stuff
0: <laughs> do you have a, a favorite animal out of your whole time keeping animals do you have one animal that really sticks out in your mind
1: uh well one is honestly just cats I, I love cats <laughs> I'm a big cat person but as far as the more exotic animals go I would say chameleons are definitely one of my favorites you know there's lots of different species of chameleons but just chameleons in general are one of my favorite reptiles to keep I have quite a few of them and yeah I really love them
0: Mm -hmm. do you have chameleons right now
1: yeah I have uh, two Parsons chameleons a male and a female I have a um Trioceros montium, which is a sailfin chameleon. I have a carpet chameleon and then a male and a female bradypodian uh So,
0: is it true that they can just like change colors or is that is that not?
1: The yeah, reality? so chameleons uh, chameleons do change color, but it's not the way that people normally think you know people tend to think that they change color for camouflage like if you hold your chameleon you know uh, up against your blue shirt that it's just going to turn blue that's not what they do they do change color but it's for communication so they change colors basically to communicate with each other and Every species, you know, has their own color range. None of them can just turn any color that they want to. Panther chameleons are definitely the most colorful, but typically a chameleon's just going to kind of be able to get lighter than it is, or darker, or maybe a bit brighter. So, yeah, they do change color, but not the way that a lot of people think.
0: Mm-hmm. Are chameleons pretty hard to keep, or are they pretty hardy?
1: they are definitely more of an advanced species for the most part again there's lots of species of chameleons but overall they are really sensitive Uh, they're not very hardy so they do require you know a decent amount of knowledge in order to get one uh yeah their care is pretty sensitive or specific and they're just yeah sensitive animals so they're not the easiest to care for but i still love them regardless (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm. what are what are some mistakes that you see like most often because they're such beautiful animals, and I think everybody wants them so what do you find <laughs> that people always like tend to mess up when setting up a a chameleon
1: yeah uh I would say some of the biggest issues that uh people often run into when setting up a chameleon enclosure is the incorrect lighting. So a lot of reptiles require specific UVB lighting. Chameleons are one of those. They need it in order to help them basically process calcium that they've consumed. Without the UVB lighting, they're not getting the proper amounts of vitamin D and D3 and stuff. And it results in something called metabolic bone disease, which is really sad because it's incurable and it's basically when the animal's body starts taking calcium from their bones because they're not getting calcium otherwise so their bones just become like mushy almost and it's really sad and a lot of times you know they lose the ability to walk properly so people getting the incorrect lighting is definitely one of the biggest issues i see because they do need really specific lights
0: Mm -hmm. and so are these lights not just a normal UV light?
1: Um. So typically when you get a chameleon, you know, you're going to want a reptile uh, UVB light. But even then, you have to be really specific about the type that you buy, because a lot of them just aren't good enough for chameleons. A lot of the reptile UV lights out there that you see just aren't powerful enough. So you specifically need a T5 high output UVB bulb.
0: Mm. And so speaking of the calcium part, I saw in one of your YouTube videos that you like dust the food that you're giving the chameleon. I don't know if this is calcium or other Mm -hmm. minerals, but yeah, what's this for?
1: Yeah, so I supplement most of my reptiles and amphibians with uh, both the calcium and then also they get certain multivitamins. So the calcium, calcium is a really important part of reptiles and amphibians diets in general, they need a lot of it. So the calcium powder that I put on their food—it is just a pure calcium powder. It just gives them additional uh, calcium in, you know, with their diet. In the wild, they eat, you know, a range of things, but in captivity, it's harder to give them as much variety. So, supplementing with calcium and vitamin powders is just a good way to make sure they're getting everything that they need.
0: That's cool. So, what kind of enclosure are you keeping it in? Is it bioactive? Because personally. I like the like super planted, um, just kind of crazy, really natural scapes. I don't know if that's allowed (laughs) with the chameleon, but what is your process in deciding how you set up an enclosure?
1: Um, Whenever I'm going to set up an enclosure, you know, I want to typically make it look nice. Like you said, I am also really into, you know, bioactive live planted enclosures. I think that they are definitely some of the best looking ones out there, but you know, the main important or the main thing is to make sure it's suitable for the animal's needs. So, you know, chameleons, for example, need a lot of horizontal branches because they like to climb. So it's important to make sure I'm putting lots of branches in there that they can easily climb on and walk around. Whereas, for example, a leaf tail gecko, which is another species I keep, um, they require more vertical spaces. They like to kind of be straight up and down. So if you compare like my chameleon enclosure to my leaf gecko enclosure, you'll notice that all of the branches are going the opposite way. So yeah, I do really like to do uh, live plants with all of my chameleons. Uh, I think that they're the best, you know, not only do they look the best, but live plants just have a lot of other benefits, such as they hold humidity better, water stays on them longer and stuff. So yeah, I do love bioactive and live planted enclosures. Mm-hmm.
0: And can you keep any other animals with a chameleon?
1: Or uh, is that not? Is that yeah, I'd say it's definitely like a controversial topic. I know I, I've i never done it personally. I've always just kept my chameleons. You know, they're the only animal in their enclosure. <laughs> but I do know some other people before who have, you know, have... um mixed species habitats and yeah it definitely is somewhat controversial because you know there are there are risks of things going wrong if you do that but typically when i see people doing it they're really advanced keepers who you know for the most part know what they're doing so i don't want to say it's impossible but it's never something i've done
0: mhm so do you find that the enclosure is always the biggest mistake when like new people set up a reptile enclosure like the whole thing do you find that the actual enclosure is usually the worst for the animal
1: oftentimes you know a lot of the times uh like if I'm thinking chameleon specifically you see people sometimes will get the right enclosure but very often you see people get an enclosure that's too small or um Chameleons are sensitive to you. A lot of people keep chameleons in screen enclosures. I personally like to keep them in glass and screen. I think that both can work as long as you know what you're doing, but glass enclosures can sometimes lead to things like respiratory issues if you're not making sure that they have proper airflow. So yeah, there are definitely a lot of mistakes that people can make with the enclosure. But yeah, the biggest ones I would see are, the biggest ones I see are people just getting enclosures that are way too small and uh, not filling them in enough so that's the thing too chameleons need you know lots of print branches and plants to climb on and hide in and a lot of people will end up with a really bare enclosure if they don't get enough to really fill out the space
0: moving away from chameleons what Mm -hmm. other animals that you've had are often like mainstreamed in big box stores and are often kind of like abused by new hobbyists
1: yeah. Um, hamsters, I would say, are a big one. Uh, goldfish are another big one that I've had. Um, I would say ball pythons, possibly. Ball pythons are kind of interesting. There's a weird world of ball pythons out there. But yeah, those are the ones that uh, come to mind, first of all. Are bearded dragons, too.
0: Um. So speaking of the ball pythons, uh, pythons I saw that it was a big controversial topic about spider ball pythons.
1: Yeah, Can you give a little
0: insight into that one.
1: So, uh, so ball pythons, for those who might not know, is just a type of snake. They're super common in captivity. I would say, you know. They're probably the most popular. If they're not the most popular, they're definitely up there. But yeah, ball pythons are a very popular snake. And these snakes come in like hundreds of thousands. I don't even know how many. There's just so many color morphs of them. So the color morph is, you know, basically is just the snake's color and pattern. I know some fish like clownfish have morphs as well. Um, Yeah, so there's lots, a lot, there's just lots of different morphs of ball pythons. Uh, And some of those morphs have certain traits linked to them, such as the spider morph tends to, not tends to, I guess the spider morph always has neurological issues linked to it. And it's hard to really say what these neurological issues are. You know, obviously I'm not a vet or anything, but the issues tend to cause these snakes to have you know, poor sense of balance. Oftentimes they end up sort of like upside down. They do these things uh, called corkscrewing, which is basically, you know, their head is twisting around and they're just very disoriented looking. You know, if you've never seen it before, you can probably look up a video of a spider ball python and you'll see what I'm talking about. But yeah, that is definitely a very controversial topic. I personally am not a fan of it like any to me if a morph comes with any sort of neurological issue that can, you know, affect the animal's life and well-being, it's something I prefer to avoid. So, it's not anything that I would ever want to buy and, you know, support with my money. I do have one ball python myself who has neurological issues. Uh, She's not a spider morph or anything. I am pretty sure her neurological issues are due to uh, improper care she received before I got her. But, um, you know, a lot of people just... the The controversy comes in because some people claim that it doesn't affect their quality of life. Other people think that it does but the truth is that I honestly don't know so because we don't know I tend to avoid it.
0: Mm -hmm. And so this whole thing is made because of people crossbreeding and inbreeding all these snakes?
1: Yeah so Morphs have come to be in different ways. Some of them are purposefully bred and some of them have just been, you know, natural mutations. As far as I know, the first spider ball python was actually found as a wild snake. So this was a gene mutation that did appear in the wild, but then, you know, people then took that snake and started breeding it in captivity and now there are just, you know, hundreds of thousands of spider ball pythons out there.
0: Mhm. Hmm. Well, that that's an interesting topic and maybe dive into it on another episode. But um so how many animals are you keeping at the moment or a ballpark of that number?
1: Yeah, I honestly don't know the exact number, but it's definitely around 50. Ooh, yeah. That's a, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it it is.
0: Are these just all different species or do you have uh well you said you have a few chameleons uh you have a snake. Yeah, what so there- some
1: of mine, like some of them are, I have some where I only have like one of a certain species, but then I have some animals where I have multiples. Uh, ball pythons, for example, I have five of them. Um, but then like a lot of my other snakes, like my children's python or my rainbow boa, I only have one of.
0: Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you keep all these organized? Do you have a certain system that you have in place to feed all your animals and clean everything and how do you keep that all organized?
1: Yeah, I feel like it's honestly probably surprising to most people because I genuinely don't have any sort of schedule. I, oh, <laughs> I, you know, I have my routine. Like I go down. So my animals are all kept in my basement. My the basement of my house is entirely just an animal room. <laughs> that is all it is. So it is just one big room with all of my animals in it. Um, so I go down there every day, obviously multiple times a day. But I don't really have any schedules that I stick to in terms of feeding and cleaning. I honestly just. Do what I feel like I need to do that day and get it done. Uh, and I honestly find that this works well for a lot of my animals. You know, if I'm thinking, you know, I mostly keep reptiles and, and amphibians. If I think in the wild, they're not eating on a normal, regular schedule. You know, snakes, for example, snakes typically only eat once a week, once every two weeks. So a lot of people will make a schedule where, you know, they feed their snake every Saturday. I've never really done that. You know, I do aim to feed my snakes every seven to 14 days typically, but I don't do it on a specific day. And I think that, you know, this is more natural to them in the wild. They're not going to be eating every seven days exactly. They're going to be eating here and there when they can get food. And it also helps keeping or it helps prevent your animals from becoming uh, picky eaters. When your animals are on a strict schedule like that, they Learn. They understand it, you know, not the same way we do, but they do kind of pick up on the schedule. So they start expecting food on a schedule, which can lead to picky eating. So honestly, if you were to ask me, I think just having like not having a schedule is honestly the way to go. Uh, I'm the same when it comes to cleaning. If I go down there and I need to clean some enclosures, I'll do that. But yeah, I really don't have a schedule for it, which is probably surprising to a lot of people, given how many animals I have.
0: For the food, I know that some people like make their own food, um, depending on vegetables or even breeding like fruit flies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your snakes aren't probably going to be eating fruit flies, but yeah, <laughs> do you, uh, have like your own food that you make or breed.
1: Um, so I don't breed a whole, I have before, I've tried breeding like insects and stuff. And to me, it honestly just wasn't worth it. I just, it wasn't interesting to me at all. It was just way easier to just buy them. I way preferred that. I wasn't very good at breeding my own. So now I buy all their food for the most part. Um, most of my animals are all or at least most of my reptiles are insectivores. So most of them eat things like crickets, uh, superworms, hornworms, silkworms. And then obviously my snakes are carnivores and they eat things like mice and rats and chicks. So all of that I buy from feeder companies around here. There's very few that I ever make myself now or breed myself.
0: They eat chicks?
1: Yeah. So all of my snakes, all of my snakes eat uh, frozen thawed. So none of my snakes right now are eating live food at all. But yeah, they typically get fed a variety of rats, mice, chicks, and small quail.
0: Ah, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. So... (laughs) How did you get into all these reptiles? Um,
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, I've been interested in animals as long as I can remember. Like when I was a kid, you know, there's so many photos of me that exist just like at the lake catching frogs or like with snakes that I found underneath the rocks and stuff. And I used to love catching fish at the lake. I Where I grew up in Nova Scotia, there's not many reptiles. So Nova Scotia is like on the east coast of Canada. So yeah, not a whole lot of reptiles there. We have a few turtles and a few snakes, but there's no lizards or anything. Um, So I was really into amphibians mainly. I loved catching frogs. So yeah, super into animals when I was a kid. I just loved, I was, I just thought they were so fascinating and I loved them. So once I got older and, you know, had, a job and was like making my own money I wanted to start you know keeping pets and I actually started uh you know pet keeping with fish like I was very into fish for a long time I still am like I do really want to get another fish tank I just the time hasn't been right yet but um I was really into fish uh all throughout high school I was keeping multiple aquariums uh, you know, I was going through different ones I had my tropical tanks, I had a uh, pea puffers at one point, and eventually I started getting into saltwater aquariums. And then that kind of expanded into just, you know, an interest in other animals. So I started keeping amphibians and reptiles, and it really just kind of <laughs> kept snowballing from there.
0: Mm-hmm. So... You said uh, at the beginning you had a YouTube channel, but you also worked at a zoo. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that experience and what you learned from that.
1: Uh, Yeah, so I worked at a zoo. Again, it was mainly a reptile zoo. Uh, We did have, you know, a few non-reptiles. Some of the, you know, cool ones I can think of was that we had uh, sloths uh, we had ring tailed lemurs. I also worked with some uh, birds of prey. We had like an armadillo. So, yeah, it was mainly reptiles, but there were some other non reptiles there. Uh, I worked there uh, primarily as a wildlife educator. So, the zoo that I worked for, you know, they did an outreach program. So, we would go and do things like birthday parties or just like work events and we would bring animals with us and basically do a presentation with them so that was mostly what I was doing there was um presenting and you know I also did do a bit of like animal care here and there but yeah I was mostly a presenter
0: mm-hmm. so <clears throat> what was your favorite animal that you uh like formed a bond with is there any funny stories yeah.
1: about that I would say some of my, f- like one of my favorite animals to work with were the ring tailed lemurs that we had. So when I, when we first got the, lem- so when I first started at the zoo, we didn't have the lemurs. The lemurs came a few months after I started working there and we got three of them. There was um, a male, a female, and then there was another male who was actually one of their babies. So we had a little family. We had the mother and father and one of their kids. And then a few months into working there, you know, a few months later, there was a surprise baby lemur. <laughs> so that was really awesome. And I got it was, you know, really adorable getting to see the baby lemur just like growing and learning things. That was one of the cutest things, was just kind of seeing him learn things and just like figure things out. It was really, really adorable. <laughs> Did you give this lemur a name? Um, the lemurs, they were named through like a Facebook contest naming competition or something. And so they ended up, I think they're like King Julian and Marie named after the Madagascar lemurs.
0: So, well, yeah, I think you could have done better, but yeah, I agree.
1: So I started my YouTube channel back in 2017. It was... Um, not too long after I graduated high school. And I basically started it because um, I had no idea what I was doing at the time. Like I said, I just graduated high school. I wasn't going to university or anything at the time because, like I said, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I was just working um, my part-time job at the time, which I was just working like in a retail store at the mall. And I was just really really bored you know a lot of my friends were in school or working I didn't have full-time hours or anything I was only working part-time so I wanted something else to do you know I needed like a hobby or something that I just enjoyed and I really liked watching YouTube you know I had watched a lot of other YouTube videos before particularly like animal videos So I decided I was going to start creating my own and that's what got me into it. I've been doing it ever since. And yeah, so I've just had my YouTube channel going since. And it's basically just been, you know, my life with the animals that I have. I've, you know, done some like more educational videos, but then I also do a lot of just casual more vlog style videos, showing people what's going on with me and my animals and all that stuff.
0: So you're telling me in three and a little bit of years, you have 93,000 subscribers.
1: Yeah. So my channel, I was honestly really excited and happy at first because my channel somewhat like it got picked up on very fast. Like I uploaded my My very so, if you go to my YouTube channel, my first video that you see is uh, my blue tongue skink giving birth. (laughs) That was just sort of a random little video I uploaded because. The story behind that was I bought a blue tongue skink as a pet and she happened to be pregnant when I got her and I had no idea. So I was surprised with uh, nine baby blue tongue skinks. So that was my first YouTube video was my skink having babies. But then after that, I did a video that was basically just introducing all of my animals and feeding all of my animals which I'm pretty sure is private now because it was kind of old and cringy so yeah it's definitely (laughs) private now but at the time it you know started getting views right away it didn't blow up or anything you know obviously it wasn't getting like millions of views but I had just uploaded it and you know it was getting like a thousand views a day which for a brand new channel is quite a lot so I was really happy about that and then I just kept consistently uploading through there and was able to grow uh, my audience to what it is now, which has been really awesome.
0: Wow, that's that's a crazy story. I mean, that's <laughs> not that long to get that many uh, followers.
1: <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's been very exciting for sure.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was a real pleasure to have you. And maybe we'll have another talk about spider ball pythons or in-depth chameleons soon
1: Sure. yeah thank you so much for having me i had a great time
0: me too thank you
1: great thank you